Hello and welcome to Dark Days Radio, Darkling Podcast, episode number 23. I'm, of course, your host, Mike, and tonight I'm joined by... Nobody. It's just me. Actually, at this moment, Chris should be recording Darkling number 24, which is part 3 of his Chronicle Design segment. So, uh, tonight we have for you a very special interesting episode. Uh, This comes from Adrian and Steve, and it's covering the roads in Vampire the Dark Ages. So, without further ado, let's uh, listen to what they have to say. Welcome back, Darker Days listeners, to part two of our exploration of Vampire the Dark Ages. My name is Adrian, but you might know me as Boggan Knight from the White Wolf Forums. And joining me on the microphones tonight, as usual, I have... My name is Stephen Nurse, otherwise known as Vergast. How are you doing, Adrian? Yeah, pretty good, pretty good. How about yourself, Steve? I'm good, thanks. Good. In the time since we have last recorded, obviously we've, we're recording this pretty close on the heels of the last one. So at this stage of recording, part one hasn't gone back up. So obviously we don't have any feedback from that. And we'll talk about how you can provide us with some feedback or drop us a line at the end of this episode. Tonight, what we're going to be looking at is an exploration of roads, which I really think are a really strong element of Vampire the Dark Ages, and I think something that you really have a chance to explore and something which sets the game very much apart from its modern-day counterparts. Because, let's face it, if you're playing Vampire the Masquerade, you're most likely going to be following the path of humanity, unless, of course, you're playing a Sabbat Chronicle. This is another one of those interesting storyteller techniques that you can use in this to take your players down different roads to explore what it means to be a vampire, not just follow the same old, same old path of humanity, path of humanity. I mean, sometimes in, in uh, Dark Ages, you can take your generation uh, uh, character creation to seven. So you can uh, be quite old for a vampire at that time. So perhaps some of the elders is always hinted at, kind of shrugged off humanity as a kind of, uh, as the, the years began to take their toll. These roads or paths allow you to explore what it is to shrug off your humanity and delve into something else. And I think as well it contextualises Dark Ages quite well because what it does is shows that it was definitely a time before the Camarilla was formed, before the Sabbat was formed and obviously the Camarilla, the company line is that monsters we are less monsters we become and by following the riddle and by following their own humanity it sort of becomes almost, as I said, the company line. So this creates quite a nice um, historical backdrop, as it rightly should. Uh, But first of all, what I thought that we would explore before we actually go into the roads themselves is why do you actually think that a road is necessary for a vampire character? Well, I think one of the interesting things about a road is it staves off the beast. It's not just a coping mechanism. It's much more of a, a philosophy a, a way to live your life, to stave off the depredation to the beast, not losing control. Yeah, I'd completely agree with that because when we first spoke about this um, offline uh, a little while ago and I said if you really boil it down, really what a road is is a coping mechanism for the vampiric condition. And I, I do think that after saying that and reflecting on it, that is oversimplifying the issue. 
I mean, I first came into this when the Storyteller and Player's Guide to the Sabbat were released back in um, Vampire the Masquerade 2nd Edition. And when I read through all of this, I had a very different reaction to the Sabbat than a lot of other people in my gaming group, where they looked at them and they saw these inhuman monsters who could just, uh, unfettered by humanity, who could go out and do as they pleased. But when I started to look at them, I actually saw the Sabbat as, as almost a deeply spiritual people. And there was sort of a, a very rough theology around this that, to my mind, put the Sabbat very, very close to the idea of Werewolf the Apocalypse, where they have got a, a very uh, sort of brutal mysticism around how they portray themselves and how they cope with the fact that they have this raging beast inside them as well. So when when I looked at this, I saw it more as a as a spiritual outlet um, and a philosophy than than anything that's going to constrain you a lot more than that. And I think that what it really does for your character is that if you pick the right road for the right concept, then it should really go hand in glove and your choice of road should tell your storyteller and tell the other players an awful lot about your character. Yeah, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. And these aren't just alternatives to humanity that you can just write some uh, other bits and pieces on your character sheet, like, I know, for example, uh, Road of the Beast or Path of Evil Revelations. And what does it actually mean to play like that character? Mm. You know, and just, I always saw paths and roads, as, as I said before, as an abandonment of humanity. You'd leave behind what it is to be human and become a canite. I think that's a quite interesting thing. Quite often in Vampire the Masquerade, vampires are often required to play down their abilities with the masquerade, to hide themselves from the world. Where in the long night and the dark ages, that's not so prevalent. You can be quite much more open if you wish. When you're looking at the roads and how to actually play them, it is a fairly complex thing to get your head around because when you look at the road of humanity all of us have got a touch point on that because generally speaking humans everywhere have got very similar values um, we have very similar beliefs at the very core so I mean you're coming at it from the fact that I'm, I, I have a human experience I'm playing a monster who is clinging to his humanity Yes, that's very tragic, and yes, it can also give you some very deep role-playing opportunities. But I don't want to say that it's a safe option, but it's certainly one that we've got a lot more touchstones for. Whereas if you wanted to play in modern nights, the path of power and the inner voice, and you take a look through the beliefs of that path, it takes quite a bit for you to say, well, my character's completely abandoned his humanity, and these are his core beliefs and values now. And I think that it is quite a big challenge uh, to get your head around. Yeah, it is. Um, as you said, there's uh, many, many kind of uh, touchstones that you can go to with humanity because there are so many pointers to it in the main books. And the paths and the the roads did get a little bit of exploration towards the end of the um, Dark Ages line, if I remember. There's a few uh, road books released. Yes. But even, even so, they didn't cover all of them, if I remember correctly. No, no, there were, I looked on drive-thru uh, just to see what's available now, and I think there's only about four volumes, uh, whereas there are obviously a lot more roads than that. Yeah, I think that with humanity, like you said before, it is a very safe option. We, you know, for anybody playing uh, Vampire the Masquerade, 90% of the people you're going to talk to are 
going to have experiences with characters with humanity. It's very few people you meet, it seems, uh, that have played paths or roads, not correctly, because I don't believe in an incorrect or a correct way of playing a game, your game's your game, but mm-hmm. from my, my kind of viewpoint of roads, that they're not just, for example, uh, if, you, if you're an Asimite following the path of blood, or the road of blood, it's not just an excuse to wander around and kill other Cainites. It's not just that simple. You know, you can't just look at the the uh, the book. Uh, you have to, I think, ex- build upon some of the roads in your own mind and take your character through a much more of a an exploration of your character and the the the, the path or the the, the road kind of uh, doctrines, these kind of bullet points that you read in the books uh, are just guidelines. You know, they're mm. just little, like you say, touchstones, and it is difficult to uh, to look at them sometimes, because if you look, quite often, quite low down is killing killing mortals, is often quite low down on the road of sins, uh, you know, for, for example, is, uh, I think it's a, uh, level two, is killing unnecessarily, or something like that, because they'd rather uh, debase you, or corrupt you, but say the road of the beast, not defending your territory violently, is also a level two kind of uh, sin, if I remember correctly. Yes. Um, a, so you know you've got two ways, two, two different characters or play things. That it's not just an excuse; it's for a reason. You know what you're going to do to people is for a reason, not just like you said before, um, mind slavering nutters with chainsaws on motorbikes riding around into Camarilla cities. Sabbat exactly. Felt, yeah, and I think that as you said, that the Sabbat books came out first with all the paths that were in those. The roads, there's a few similarities, but not all the paths are in there, and not all the roads are paths. It was another way of placing those back into the mainstream, if that makes any sense, from from the sense point of view that it's it's open to you, open to everyone from character creation. Quite often, like you said before, you know, if you play Vampire Masquerade, you play Humanity, if you do have a path, it is very few and far between. And, you know, most GMs are a little nervous of using them. So. Yeah, very much so. And I think that one of, a couple of the points that you just raised there, where you said that, for example, on your hierarchy of sins, that not defending your territory fairly violently for the road of the beast is a sin against the path. And some of the best discussions that ever came out of our gaming group was when people had decided to take a path because they basically agreed with it. And then... After playing for a short while, they looked at the hierarchy of sins in a new light, and then when they were looking at some of them, started discussions around the idea of, well, that doesn't seem right to me. Why is that a sin? Why is doing that going to decrease the level of enlightenment that I have on this path? And so there were some fairly deep discussions where we started to look at, well, what what is the core of the path, really, and why is this putting you backwards on, on the road? And I think that those sorts of discussions don't often come up when you are playing the road of humanity, because, as I said, most of us have those touchstones. The other thing that you mentioned as well was that if you've got an Asimite on the road of blood, and I think that perhaps... Uh, we need to dispel a couple of myths, uh, and I think we've already done a good job of that so far. But in your opinion, Steve, would it be possible to play an Asimite who is not on the road of blood? In my opinion, yes. But what you are doing then is perhaps throwing off the indoctrination of your clan and throwing off perhaps what it means to be an Asimite for a lot of people. 
as it says in the in the book, most people who follow the road of blood are uh, Asamites. Uh, you've got it written down in our notes. It's only taught to Asamites. I, I believe in the modern light, that's not strictly true because um, there's a watered down version, if I remember correctly, in the Sabbath kind of uh, books that came out, like you said, in the uh, Vampire the Masquerade second edition. Mm. But I never like absolutes in the world of darkness to say that you couldn't be an Asamite playing a different path. Maybe, maybe, but I'd want him to be a very interesting kind of Asamite. I think the Road of Blood has got a lot going for it that's just not just an excuse for the Arbery and killing other kindred. Really, there's, there's a way of misconstruing some of these paths as the clan line, where and that really does almost railroad your thoughts into believing a, just sort of a single system uh, where I think that you get much richer characters if you say, well, sure, fine, I want to play a setite, but what would happen if I, was, if I wanted to play a setite who had broken with the clan ranks and I am actually on the road of chivalry? Now, that's, that's probably the polar opposite of what you would go for, but I'm sure that you could get a perfectly workable and, and very interesting character out of a concept like that. Yeah, definitely. Especially if you wanted to explore somebody trying to break away from, like you say, the, the clan ranks and become something different, but then finding that they are, because of the curse, they can't follow the road of chivalry because of the very nature of their setite blood. You know, you could take them down a... Uh, you know, somebody's morally challenged all the time and keeps failing these morally challenged mainly because of their clan, kind of, you know, the mystic bond to the blood rather than the uh, any kind of uh, moral or intellectual decision. And I suppose the other thing as well to keep in your mind is that even though you are following a path, the ultimate does not necessarily mean that eventually your character will achieve ten dots in that path. If you look at the elders of the Camarilla, for example, most of those are following the road of humanity. However, an awful lot of those individuals have got the road of humanity in terms of pure game mechanics at around about three or four so even though they're clinging to it, they're not doing a particularly good job of working their way up through the ranks. And I think that there is a little bit of a misconception around this, that if there's ten dots to fill in your character sheet, then the ultimate goal is to fill all ten in. Yeah, that's a very min-max way of looking at uh, a character sheet for the World of Darkness, because, as you said, you're presenting with a character sheet with a, a bunch of empty dots, and we all know how, uh, you know, uh, people like to fill in these things, especially from the rise of computer games. Uh, oh, yes. All these yes. things ticked, ticked off, and I've got this, and I've got that. Yeah, sometimes, you know, that's just a guide for your character rather than this piece of paper with these two-dimensional kind of attributes and, you know, rather loose terms are oh, my character. Mm, I don't think so. The other misconception that people have as well that I've found is that the idea that once you pick a road at character creation, that's you locked in for eternity. That if you choose the road of the beast, when you assign those 753 and 1395, that suddenly that's going to be your character for the rest of eternity. How do you feel about people switching paths? Um, why not? Because as I said before, it's 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 much more of a philosophy, much more of a kind of way of living your existence. The only thing I'd say is for purely storyteller uh, device, you know, advancing your plot, I'd always require that a player needs to get with somebody else who's following this path or this road, so they are taught 
or indoctrinated, because I don't think for some of them, apart from, say, Road of the Beast, uh, you'd need instruction as to what, you know, what the next path, you know, in the same way that we are kind of all instructed as to what it is to be a Christian or instructed as to what it is to be in, uh, a Muslim or a Jew or a Buddhist or whatever. No, I, I would agree with that, that you would need somebody to show you the way. And I think that what a storyteller can do if they see somebody who might be struggling with their path or perhaps, you know, you've, you've had the, the conversation over coffee after the game and someone says, well, you know, the road isn't really working out for me, that you can turn it into a storytelling opportunity by having them perhaps meet somebody who embodies the types of qualities that they would like to see in themselves. And so that that starts a conversation around philosophy and says, well, your actions declare you to be the sort of person that, that my character would like to be. So let's have a bit more of a talk about how you go about doing that. And I think then you get that internal change, um, at, which is a lot better than simply saying, you know what, this isn't working out for me. I think I'll just switch in between games. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree, because to change something so fundamental about yourself, something so... I mean, um, one of the big things for me is I think that the virtues and the humanity or your path or your road is often the piece that's overlooked on character sheets. People just kind of look at them, look at the terms, oh, my dots at seemingly random kind of uh, uh, distribution, just to often min or max um, willpower over, say, humanity. Yes. I'm not saying all people do that. I've just seen it quite often myself because people just look at it and go, oh, okay, uh, conscience, yeah, do, 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 do. I won't need much of that. You know, oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know you're in a spot of trouble when somebody turns around and says, yeah, I don't think I need more than one dot in conscience. Yeah, mm, okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, and as you said, you can, you can write a kind of a subplot or a, a take your character on a... a a kind of a personal journey. I mean, if you do have the time, a lot of people I realise don't, uh, but if you do have the time, you could even go uh, and meet up outside of your game session and just have a one-on-one where you just role-play with this kind of uh, mentor on the road or on the path to show you how he lives his life. Perhaps you'd be horrified to see how how some people live their existence. Yeah, I mean, you might actually even find that after spending time with that NPC, you look at them and realise that that's exactly what you don't want. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that can take, you know, these are all interesting kind of uh, ways that you can use roads, and that's just simply switching roads. We've hardly even talked about what it is to play along with some of these roads. So. Well, I think that that's a good segue into doing exactly that. And I know that we've mapped out most of the roads, and so I think that we should just jump straight in now and explore one by one what the roads are all about and maybe highlight a couple of sins on the path um, and a bit of background about them. So did you want to kick off? The first uh, kind of road I think we should look at is uh, Road of the Beast. Uh, As the name suggests, it's more of an animalistic kind of temperament. But that's not to say that you're a mindless beast. Uh, these canines often stake claim to territory, which they defend violently, as any kind of wild animal may defend their kind of hunting ground. They tend to be less altruistic than other canines. They don't really get involved in the jihad. That's not to say they can't be drawn into it, but they're not really into manipulating one another, because often these canines shun cities 
and often reside in the wilderness, which could bring them into uh, conflict with lupins or probably other creatures of the night that exist in the Dark Ages world. What do you think about The Road of the Beast? I think that it's a fairly challenging one to play because, to me, one of the big things about Vampire is that it's an inherently social and political game. So The Road of the Beast existing, I can see that there's a necessity for it to exist, but I think that it's one of those that you've got to try very, very carefully to approach because... As you said, these guys are not necessarily team players. They're not interested in the same things as a lot of people would say are the cornerstones of a vampire chronicle. And even though they're not mindless beasts, I think that they don't necessarily always have the ability to to give these long-term plans, these sort of complex strategies that we see within the game an awful lot. I really look at Road of the Beast and think, well, how how really do they interact with the rest of the coterie? And I think that's a big challenge for any storyteller. Yeah, that's right. I mean, Road of the Beast, I mean, one of the dreads for me is somebody coming to my table and sitting down and say, I want to play a loner gangrel following uh, the, the Road of the Beast. And you're like, oh, okay, because straight away what your character is saying to you is he wants to be by himself, doing his own things, and the wilderness, and not getting involved in your plot that's perhaps set in some other kind of city. And Vampire is very much an urban game. I mean, it's it's not necessarily designed to be played out in the great outdoors. No, and, of course, their natural enemies, the werewolves, uh, stalking out in the wilderness, make it difficult to get around in the uh, wilderness. I always see this as being, as you said, I see the necessity for it, but I don't see... Many ways of using it for a group that's wanting to work together. If you if you don't mind playing a game of Vampire the Masquerade or Vampire Dark Ages, where each one of your players is essentially exploring their own existence rather than interacting with each other, that's fine. But what's the point in playing in a group? Yeah, exactly. I think as well that if somebody on Road of the Beast, I mean, you take a look at one of the sins at level nine, not challenging a clearly weak leader for leadership. Now, that could be within your own coterie. I mean, natural leaders emerge in any gaming group. There's there's the one or two people who, through strength of personality or any number of reasons, seem to emerge as the people that the rest of the players, not necessarily just characters, but players, look to and say, what do we do next? And I think that if you've got somebody who's playing Road of the Beast they really strike me as as needing that alpha position within the coterie. And then if you are playing in an environment where perhaps um, the prince of the city finds himself in a, a weak position and is still trying to exert their will, then, I mean, you could get some very interesting stories out of somebody who is fairly uh, advanced along the road of the beast suddenly seeing a position like that. Because if they do claim a princedom, take down the leader and put themselves into that position, what do they then do with all of this political power? Exactly, because I think the road of the beast would focus much more on the idea that they control this area now and its feeding ground, you know, the amount of kind that are around. I still, I still, with road of the beast, it still sits with me that you are, I think road of the beast pushes you in a way that vying for Princeton would seem weird 
it would seem so ephemeral, this power, that it wouldn't be something tangible, I think, to, to push somebody on, on the road of beast. Remember that, that, you know, when you come to the higher levels, you are truly kind of beast-like. Mm, yes. So that's, that, you know, you're a bestial. You are, you know, for want of a better word, you know, you're much more of a feral kind of creature. If you look lower down, you see um, we're on the on the uh, on the path of sins, level four, refusing to kill when important is your survival. I mean that that by itself creates all sorts of situations. Uh, but for me, I I often see this in terms of especially when you look at the leadership aspect. I see it as the archetypal wolf pack, where you've got the alpha wolf, and then you've got the beta wolves who are sort of looking for that moment of weakness to take over the pack. And then eventually when the old wolf gets you know, old, infirm, wounded, or whatever, they can reasonably expect that one of these betas uh, are going to challenge and kill them and then in order to lead the pack. But that, of course, that, that imagery all presupposes that everyone in the pack is a wolf. Everyone has got the same idea of how a particular society works, whereas with Road of the Beast, you aren't dealing with um, everyone on the same page, all after the same goals. So, yeah, I've, I've always struggled with it a little bit. Mm, same here. Same here. The other thing as well is uh, it's often uh, viewed as being uh, the default path for abandoned vampires, that they descend and become more and more and more less you know less and less humanity you know but let's never forget that even if you follow a road that even the road of the beast the beast within still exists you can still frenzy and go out of control frenzy and and bring yourself to damage things that you wouldn't want to damage or you understand what i'm saying that these yeah you know you know you don't just embrace it so to speak it's not it's not an embracing of the the internal beast it's much more of an external external kind of thing but the internal beast is always there waiting to take over wanting to destroy everything about you as you as you said like any kind of plans or anything you touch or interact with you know with the curse from from god that was laid on cain is to turn to dust you know turn to nothing but ashes so even something as simple as staking a claim to an area can turn you know your 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 you know simply being there can cause that to be you know damned and I think that is a really good point, is that this is not necessarily, and with Road of the Beast, there are, are a number of misconceptions. Uh, one of the primary ones is that this is not the path that you take and make friends with your inner beast, and suddenly the two of you are working in harmony. That that couldn't be further from the truth, because even though your your outward self is becoming more beastly, or your, your behaviour is becoming that, the beast within is still something that needs to be managed really carefully, just like you said. Because if that comes out in an uncontrolled frenzy or anything else like that, you're going to suddenly find yourself waking up with a strange taste in your mouth and dire consequences. Exactly. Okay, so let's move along now. Um, and I think that if we move from Road of the Beast, we'll go through them in pretty much the order that they're presented in the book, um, which brings us to Road of Blood, which we have already mentioned. Now, did you want to take this one as well, seeing as how I noticed that you made a number of notes on this one? I'm a big believer in pointing out that sometimes misconceptions about things can lead to people looking at things and getting it totally, totally wrong. Road of the Blood, I think, is one of those things that people look at and say, oh, it's for those who want to play vampires who just want to kill everybody, diabolize, diabolize everything in sight, and just go around cutting off heads. 
that's part of this kind of uh, road, but it's not the, the be-all and end-all of it. It's something, I think, something much more noble, because they are encouraged openly to be honourable, and to other clan members, meaning the Asimites in 99.9% of the times, you are actively encouraged to be honourable to your other clan members. You know, it's, it's almost the, the, the opposite of the road of the beast, where you shun everybody else. This is much more encouraging you to work with others. I mean, some of the things that I found quite interesting when you look at the types of sins on this path is that it's things like failing to assist or avenge a clanmate. So failure to assist somebody in your own clan is suddenly cause for a, a path check. Um, also, interestingly enough on there, and it is fairly low uh, when we're talking about how people interact with mortals, breaking your word of honour to a mortal can actually trigger a path check as well. Yeah, and they are, if I remember correctly, part of the, uh, the, the teachings of the Road of Blood is to, you know, look upon the the mortals as the children of Seth. They are, you know, for want of a better word, related to vampires. So, and, and to pity them somewhat. And I think as well that if you look at this path, that you're looking at things like uh, honour, self-control, integrity of self... Uh, these these are really the cornerstones of the path, which almost seems to be at odds with the perception that it's all about lowering your generation and killing other vampires. But there's a structure to all of this as well. And I think that what you need to do is that if you're thinking of playing this path, don't just look at the fact of it as an excuse that um, you'll get at least a couple of generation bumps out of it, but rather look at how you're actually going to conduct yourself night to night. And how, as, as you just said, how your word of honour becomes a big part of your character. It's not just, you know, oh, you meet, uh, you meet another canine, they're not an asimite. Okay, well, what you're going to do, I'm going to roll for initiative, and I'm going to attack them. <laughs> Why? Why would you just attack people? Because, uh, as you said, it says, um, there's a level three sin that says, failing to pursue vampire blood or knowledge of Cain when uh, there is moderate danger. Vampire blood, yeah, okay. Or knowledge. Remember that knowing your enemy sometimes is just as valuable as being able to take them down. So it's not just like you, you meet other vampires, draw your scimitar and have at them, and then hopefully diabolize them, because otherwise I don't think that the Asmites would be allowed to continue as a clan. The rest of the clans would just openly unite and crush them. There is this essence of an, an, uh, an Arabic, uh, an Arabian kind of a feel to, to these characters, that, that sense that they tend to hail from, like you said, the Holy Lands at the time, and North Africa, that kind of, kind of places, or even Spain at the time. This isn't uh, Islam, we must, you know, stress this, this the, you know, the road of the blood isn't Islam, it's kind of just kind of, in that world of darkness sense, kind of just mingled with it slightly, so the tenants of it aren't the same at all. I mean, um, quite often they are, you know, uh, it's pointed out that, you know, oh, if you're going to play an Asimite, you've got to be a Muslim. That's not true. You follow the path of blood, which is also very much like a religion that still has that Arabian feel, but isn't Islam, if you don't want to explore that kind of thing. The other thing as well is you don't just turn yourself into a blood-crazed assassin that it's all out for yourself. You're more out for your clan. Sometimes, you know, people look at the trivia and say, oh, they're all working together and they're doing this. Yeah. 
Asamites do that more more often than Tremere do, I think. And there's a much more kind of unity because in the Tremere it's forced unity via the blood bound between them between themselves. Whereas in with the Path of the Blood or Road of Blood, it's much more seen as being a, a kind of spiritual movement, like you said. Yeah, and I think that that's something which people really do need to do with the Asamites is divorce the clan from this idea that that if you are playing one, then you're definitely playing a Muslim. Because yeah. I think that I really think that there's an awful lot more to this clan than simply taking a real world religion or your understanding of a real world religion more to the point and tacking it onto a fictional character. Um, I think that there's an awful lot more, and if you're just doing that, then you're missing a great opportunity for a really good character. Yeah, and I think sometimes as well people look at Road of the Blood and, and think, do I really want my players following this? Well, if you can introduce somebody on the path of blood into your country that's got a reason to work with them, has some kind of word or, or kind of honour, it can take you into a place where, you know, this guy's working with us, he doesn't normally work with us, and there's a kind of like, an unsteady truce about it all, if that makes any sense. That can, that can make a, quite an interesting kind of story to explore as well, that there's somebody in the group that can't be trusted. But perhaps of everybody in the group, if he's told you this is what he's going to do, then that's what he's going to do. Yeah, I definitely think so. You can actually build a, a quasi-level of trust surely based on that. Mm-hmm. Now, speaking mm-hmm. of uh, word of honour, we might move along um, now to Road of Chivalry appeals a lot to the high clans. So you're going to find a lot of people who are rolling up, for example, Ventru. Uh, you'll find that the Ventru Knight is one of those archetypes that seems to show up at almost every single table. But these guys as well, they're following a very strict code. What they believe here is that in the Marvel sense of the, the, the term, with great power comes great responsibility. And so what they are trying to do is balance the power that they have been given by Cain's curse, but also having a level of honour and duty that they that would normally be ascribed to the knighthood, that you put the good of others and your word of honour, your bonds, your oaths um, to people higher up the social ladder than yourself, you put all of these things much higher uh, in your mind than your own personal desire. Now, I think that in terms of a, a team player, I think that Road of Chivalry is probably going to be a pretty safe bet that within certain constraints, these adherents are actually going to play well with the rest of the group, uh, depending on the activities that the rest of the group are engaged in, of course. And also, they're going to be a lot more inclined to help out mortals than most of the other roads. And if you take a look at some of their their sins, you've got things here like, I mean, it can't be more black and white, where it says placing personal desire above your duty or breaking your word uh, to a clanmate or to a peer. And I think that that use of the word peer in a lot of the, the sins against the path is quite interesting because if you have a vampire who honestly believes that through dint of reputation or knowledge or deed or any other facet of their personality, believes that a mortal is their peer, then suddenly you've got them having to bring in parts of their vampiric road whenever they are dealing with this mortal. And I suppose other vampires may actually find this to be quite a a very strange philosophy to hold. Well, 
I've always been a, a fan of Road of Chivalry because, as I said when we were talking about the first in the first episode about what it meant to be playing World of Darkness. I mean, uh, Dark Ages. For us, like I said, we came from a kind of D and D kind of background, and that kind of sense that there is a knight in the group always sat right because everybody has perhaps a misconception that there are knights on horseback in a traditional sense, in full plate mail armor, riding around and jousting with one another. You know, if that's what the Dark Ages says to you, that's great. Historically, I think it's incorrect, but does that matter? Not really. No. And it's an archetype that people can explore. You know, people understand. I mean, so you could take the road to chivalry and say, I, I want to I start playing a character that's eight or nine for, for chivalry. But what I want to do is explore the deg- degradation of that as I'm exposed to being what it is to be a vampire. I go lower and lower and lower as your oaths force you to do things that you wouldn't normally do. And taking somebody as a, a shining example and, and, and taking them somewhere else, taking them down, because, once again, they're vampires and damned. And let's face it, I mean, if that's core to why we're playing World of Darkness, World of Darkness is not necessarily about the, the shiny absolutes of morality. This is the sort of dark and gritty version. I mean, if you want that paragon of virtue, then we'd be out there playing Pendragon. Yeah, I, and as well, it is the World of Darkness. You know, I, I, for me, this, this is why the game life still appeals. In all its different formats, being a werewolf, dark ages, vampire, Growth, whatever. It's that sense of not everything has to end with a happy ending. You know, you, 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 the knight that you are does not necessarily have to die honourably on the field of battle standing for something. Perhaps he did. Perhaps he didn't want to fight the people he was fighting against because they are the people he he'd always wanted to defend. But through hapstance, you know, fate has led him down a different path. He's ended up, you know, perhaps fighting a peasant horde that's trying to. Uh, kill uh, a Shimizy uh, kind of overlord and the Shimizy overlord is absolutely the antithesis of what the, the road of chivalry person is, is, is eventually as we, we used an example before but because of an oath he can't really abandon that or his, or, or his morality or his sense of self is damaged by that and I think that a good storyteller, if you are, if you've got someone with Road of Chivalry, I think part of your job as storyteller, with every path, but I mean, Road of Chivalry is a good example, seeing how we're talking about it now, you should look for ways to challenge the players and their perceptions of their path and what actions their characters are going to take. And I think we'll come back to that a bit later on when we finish going through the paths. Yeah, that's right. You mentioned beforehand that with Road of the Beast, we were a bit unsure about whether or not we would let somebody in the party take Road of the Beast, or, or you know, it sends up warning flags. What sort of yep. warning flags go up when somebody at the table brings up the next road, the Road of the Devil? Defcon 1. <laughs> <laughs> so would, would you allow someone following Road of the Devil at your table? If they came... With a character that was well thought out, well written, and fully thought through, yes, because why not? But if they just said, well, okay, they're just flicking through absentmindedly, what path are you going to follow? What role are you gonna, uh, sorry, what road are you going to follow? I've got a road of the devil, I think. That sounds awesome. Oh, you're like, <laughs> oh here we go. <laughs> 
Okay, for those of you that aren't familiar with it, Road of the Devil basically says that the Cainites are completely and utterly damned. Therefore, by virtue of the fact that they are damned, it means that a vampire is an active agent of evil. So they believe that everybody else is simply on a deluded path and is trying to make the best of a situation where there is no best situation. And so they have embraced their true nature as they see it. When you take a look at some of the sins on this, they have a hugely disruptive effect at your table, depending on what you're going to choose to explore in your own chronicle. And, I mean, that's the thing that Steve and I have said at almost every turn here, is that even though it may not work at our tables, if it works at your tables, then that's cool, and you should go with it. But, I mean, taking a look here, for example, avoiding injury to others at the cost of your own pleasure, refusing to murder humans when it would be in your best interest, refusing to tempt the virtuous, uh, I mean, these are the sorts of things that are going to lead your character down some pretty dark paths. Um, so I suppose that there is a bit of a caveat that, as you said, Steve, that if somebody comes to the table and they have a really, really good idea and they've well thought this out about how they're going to work with their character, I'd be tempted to explore it with them and just see where it leads. It might not work out, but I'd give it a shot. As you've kind of said, it's a, it's a big game-breaker. But then on the flip side of that... If you wanted to take a look at it and play somebody who was an antithesis or something, say a priest who uh, abandons Road of uh, Heaven, which we'll talk about in a little bit, decides to follow Road of the Devil instead, you're talking about literally turning your virtues on the head. So literally turning the world of darkness, Dark Ages world, on its head. So good becomes evil, uh, not doing... You know, terrible things to people becomes really low down on your moral, you know, your moral scale. I mean, here, here we've got um, a level one, level one, uh, raiding, uh, sorry, aiding servants of virtue, God, or similarly, similarly opposed powers. That's level one. So, you know, actively working with somebody who's affiliated with the church is going to get you, you know, morally in, into, into hot water. And as you creep up this thing. Uh, like you said, you've got here um, refusing to commit cruel acts that are in your best interest. That's only level five. So somebody following this is normally a character creation going to be somewhere near, so you know, five, six, seven. And like you said, you, you, you're game-breaking character at this point because you can get away with doing things that other players just can't do. You know, and you can just wander into a village. I'm going to kill everyone. Why? Because I can. All right, okay. That's that's great, and that's detrimental, I think, for other players. So. I've always had a big problem with this, and I, I think I'm going to stick with that. That it's it's a game breaker. It's a real game breaker. I think as well. This is like in our all of our gaming groups, uh, the one constant has always been that we set aside one night before we start playing for nothing apart from character creation. And we've got a number of tips and tricks that we use on the night to sort of bring in additional elements in order to help people make up their characters. And unless there is something which somebody wants to actively keep a secret uh, at character creation, generally everyone at the table knows what everyone else is playing, and they've had a chance to consider it. If this was happening at my table and someone came in saying, well, I would really like to play Road of the Devil, that would be the point where they and the player of a character on, say, Road of Chivalry or Road of Heaven, for example, 
that should send up enough warning flags where, as a storyteller, I sit down and help facilitate a discussion where we talk about, well, how is this actually going to work? Is this a good idea? And I think that with a lot of these paths, not just Road of the Devil, you're going to have to sit down and have those conversations at character creation as to how you impact on everyone else at the table. Mm, I agree. I agree, especially especially with Road of the Devil, especially. Now, we did mention Road of Heaven a couple of times as the, the polar opposite to this. Now, basically, these mm-hmm. guys believe that they are God's avenging angels, and they are on Earth in order to enforce his will. The, interestingly, when I read through this part, they don't actually need to be Christian. They just need to have a faith of some description. So these vampires believe that they are answerable to a higher good force in the world and that they are acting under that deity or that power's will. The main focus of this path is upon uh, punishing the guilty. So this is reflected a lot in their different sins. So, for example, they will not willingly feed on someone who they consider to be an innocent. Uh, they will not show disrespect to the church. They consider it to be a sin not to speak out against corruption and evil. Unsurprisingly, uh, adherents of this road have got a very special place in their heart for the barley and the Settites. Uh, so I think it's a very interesting one that fits in with the medieval mindset quite well, that you have this predetermined role which has been given to you and that you're simply playing to that role. Yeah, and for want of a better word, it's allowing your character to explore a bit of zealotry. and There is no... Uh, shades of grey that are just merely black and white, good and evil. This is, you know, for these characters, this is that simple. And I think in the world of darkness, as we were discussing before, the shades of grey that exist there will lead you into interesting places of following this path. Because sometimes there is no right or wrong. There is just what happens, or just what you choose. And I think sometimes you can you can you can use you can use the road of heaven as being much much more of a kind of storytelling technique for players to explore the world around them and realise that it's not just right or wrong or good or evil. There are shades of grey in between. I'd even be tempted to design a chronicle where the main antagonist was on the road of heaven and have the, the player characters have to say, well, is there actually anything that bad about what he is doing? I know it is brought, his actions or her actions have brought themselves into conflict with our agenda, but then you actually have to weigh up, based on your own road and your own choice of morality, whether or not this individual needs to be stopped. Yeah, that's quite, that's quite interesting, especially if your group is taking a turn for the darker, for want of a better word, that, you know, there's a, 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 you know, a paragon of virtue that seemingly at every step of the thing keeps saying you're doing things and you're making things worse, even though they think they're trying to make things better. And, you know, like you said, it's a, almost like a, a Jiminy Cricket kind of antagonist that can step <laughs> in and try and undo the work. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes I think groups need that. Sometimes they need to be pointed out, you know, do you realise what you're doing? You know, just take a step back and realise what, what the group has done over the last few nights. If you start taking a step back and looking at what you've done, quite a lot of people, you know, take a step back and, you know, begin to ponder over what they're doing and questioning the morality and that. And that's an interesting thing about the roads is you get to do that, get to question if your actions are right or wrong. 
in much more interesting terms because some players it's easy. Yeah, I was fine doing that. For others, it's much more of a a, con- a, a competitive thing. You know, you must it can bring you into kind of conflict with yourself. A good example to see how two different people following a path or road interacting with each other is sometimes to look at a movie, say like Interview of the Vampire. And look at how Louis deals with his humanity, and Lestat deals with whatever he's got. Because it's obvious that Lestat is quite comfortable being a vampire. Yeah, this is great. I'm really enjoying this, and seems to revel in his in his um, vampiric uh, kind of existence. Where Louis bemoans his lot all the time. If you understand what I mean, and that's a good way to look at things. And with with Road of Heaven, you can have a look and say, yes, I have been blessed. Especially if you tie it into the the, as we talked about last time, the Canaanite heresy, you know, somebody on the road of heaven then could be very kind of uh, uh, powerful as an antagonist for the group. Now, we've only got two more to go. Um, so the road of paradox. Now, this is another one of those which is predominantly interpreted as the Ravnos road. I can see how, you know, obviously the Ravnos are the ones who are going to be following this. I think that it would be quite interesting to see other clans' takes on this road. I could see maybe a Malkavian on this road, but I'm not quite sure about other clans. Basically, followers of this road believe that all of static reality is a lie and that in mystical objects, and vampires are considered to be mystical objects on this road, there resides a type of power, and when you release it, this power flows out into the world and it actively ensures that the stagnant world, which is around them and what they believe the antediluvians are trying to create, will not be created because there's enough of this raw energy of creation as it will. Vampires on this path will seek out anything that holds this power in their mind. So things like elders, werewolf fetishes, uh, mage talismans, and they will actively seek to destroy them in order to release that power back into the world. And unsurprisingly, they're quite prone to things like trickery and deceit and generally trying to shake up the general social order. So, again, they can be quite a disruptive path to have within your group. But I think as well that somebody who has just got such a completely different world view to the rest of medieval Europe... Uh, could be a really interesting player character to have in your group. And I think that if you were tailoring chronicles around this idea and the justification that the Road of Paradox gives you for certain actions, I think that you could get a very rich play experience about this. Uh, I must admit that Ravnos, uh, the, the Path of Paradox, even gypsies don't often play a major part in any of the things because nobody's ever really looked into it. I'm like, I have the world of darkness gypsies and uh, I've never actually got to uh, bring it to my game at all, which is a shame, really. Have you got any experience with the Road of Paradox? No, I don't, actually. Um, what The closest that I ever came was that when I used to be a member of the Camarilla, uh, I played in a Sabbat chronicle where I played a Ravnos anti-tribute and uh, that character was on the road of Catharsis. Um, I think that's what it's called. It was mm-hmm. quite a long time ago. And it's, it's sort of, it's very much um, a blend of sort of a modern interpretation of the road of paradox, where it does talk about releasing this power that is latently in mystical objects, but it, it also does talk very much about 
not showing concern for mortals and following your own pleasures and and really it's it's very much a self-indulgent path but again one which is very much ascribed to the the Ravnos anti-tribute of modern knights but having said that I've never actually encountered a player in any of my chronicles who has wanted to play a Ravnos uh, much less wanted to play this road mm, I think that's uh I could say that's a real shame. I was, when I was doing my rereading of all my source material for this, I picked up the uh, World of Darkness, I think it's Companion, or the Storyteller's Companion, and there's an expan- you know, expansion on the road in there that sets out much more in a, a kind of narrative format. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it has a, a Ravnos in, in chains before the prince, basically being lit, uh, you know, the prince is laying down this, the list of crimes this Ravnos has perpetrated within his domain. And at the end, he says, well, have you got anything to say for yourself? Basically, uh, the Ravnos turns and says, yeah, but it was your children who put me up to it. Or is it the Brujar uh, Primogen put me up to it? <laughs> it's like, the prince then turns, and look, you know, there's this exchange between the Brujar and the prince, and it's like, oh, that's preposterous. Yeah, right, but there's that seed of doubt placed by the, you know, the, the, the Ravnos. So I, I thought that was quite interesting. But like you, I've got no actual at-the-table experience with them. They've always appealed to me because I like the idea of having the the trickster character, but one which is not necessarily just there to disrupt things, but rather to point out the foolishness that is around them and to shake things up for a reason, to tear down things that make no sense. I mean, it's very much like in Werewolf the Apocalypse, I see that as very much the role of the Ragabash within uh, Guru society, uh, very much like the Fool in uh, King Lear, for example. And I don't see people gravitating towards those sorts of archetypes in my groups, but I I would love to see one. Me too. I mean, again, at at the beginning you said uh, about uh, Malkavians following this path. Uh, This ties in really well with the Malkavian idea of pranking. Uh, if you remember that from uh, Malkavian clan book, the, f- mm. the first edition, it actively talks about how Malkavians go around pranking other elders to show them the, as you said, the the nonsense of their existence. You know what they, you know, you know the power struggles between kindred is just that nonsense. But outside of those two clans, I, I would be rather keen to see if anyone else has managed to interpret this path and align it with another clan and concept. Oh, I was just going to say, if anybody out there that's listening has had any experience of this, I'd love to hear of your experiences. So. And that brings us to our last road, which is the road of Typhon. And again, this is one of the ones which is intrinsically linked to a particular clan. This one is linked to the Setites, and it really teaches you that what you have to do is embrace all of the misery that is out there. Only by knowing evil can you understand it fully, in, in the wider sense of the word. And then there's an interesting idea that by truly knowing evil, you can overcome it. So what they do is they spread and they study corruption, and uh, they believe that by indulging in your own weaknesses and not staving themselves off, this is the path to becoming strong. So obviously sins on the road are going to include things like refusing to succumb to weakness, I've got mixed feelings about the fact that it also says they're including the resistance of frenzy. Uh, so re- actively resisting frenzy is actually a, si- uh, a sin on this path. Not destroying va- vampires who achieve a Golconda. 
Now, I do question how often you're going to run into a vampire who has achieved Golconda for this tenet of the path to be tested, but you never know. And uh, also, interestingly, not attempting to awaken set at the earliest opportunity. Uh, again, I would question how many times you're going to get the chance to do that. Uh, so there's a few things on the path which, which I think... Yeah, whether or not they actually offer the, the best role-playing opportunities. But I think that overall, in terms of the paths, this one very much sits next to Road of the Devil as a, as a game-breaker for me. Yeah, I can understand uh, your hesitance. This is a road that I have uh, experience with. The, uh, one of uh, my GMs back in the day that ran a Dark Ages Chronicle that went on for quite some time, the, the main protagonist was... Uh, a path Typhon Setite. And it seemed that no matter what we did or where we went, we were actively trying to make the world a better place as we went through and tried to not play into the kind of stereotypes of vampires, but every step of every step we took, this uh, individual kind of thwart us. We, in the end, we thought we defeated this, this kind of uh, this antagonist only to find later that our main ally, our main ally was the same person and was just literally getting us to do all his dirty work by sh- showing us a fake bad guy to chase around Europe and got us doing all these things for him that were actually be actively making things easier for him. That was quite an interesting uh, uh, kind of thing. <laughs> How did you guys react to that when you finally have the big reveal? Not too great, especially as... <laughs> Um, if I remember correctly, the, the, the guy that was portrayed to be the antagonist, was, his name was Leviathan. And our uh, kind of mentor kind of character was called Alan Vethy. That If you look at those two names, they're actually anagrams of each other. So the, 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 the truth was always there right in front of us. And, uh, you know, nobody, you know, cause nobody looks at, uh, you know, NPC names and starts monkeying around with the letters. Nobody. I just remember at the time the GM did this big reveal just thinking, oh, God. Really? Ah, oh. and I didn't see it coming. You know, it's one of those real shovel-on-the-back-of-the-head moments. But the beauty of something like that in terms of invoking moral dilemmas is when the, you're finally confronted with all of your actions, it comes as a big shock. But then when you look back along the, the road that the story has taken, with the benefit of hindsight, you can see all of the little signposts along the way. And I think that that's, that's the mark of a truly brilliant storyteller. And I think that whoever it was that you were playing with at the time, I mean, that's, that's just a shiny example of the, of the types of stuff that I think that the rest of us should be aspiring to do. Mm, I agree. I agree. This is the, the thing about all of these, these, these paths you can, and these roads. You can, you can add them to your game with spice. Remember that, as we said, there's some paths here that don't sit right with us and we'd not actively recommend you don't use them, but, you know, warn you that there are consequences with the, the choices of following certain parts of these roads. That's not to say that if you want to, you can just start playing these things however you want. Remember that you can invent your own roads if you wish to and come up with your own hierarchy of sins. This is be a little more difficult, but not impossible, especially if you have a GM that's willing to explore this with you. So that's another thing that roads can do. That the, the, the can of canon material is 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 also a, a good pointer for creating your own roads if that's what you wish to do. 
And let's face it, creating your own road would be a, a really good experience, especially if you're playing a vampire who perhaps had been ba- abandoned after the embrace or had simply fallen off the edge of one of their, their existing roads and said, well, this is how I cope night to night with being a vampire. These are my core beliefs, but they've been shaken. Therefore, I now need some, for lack of a better term, new beliefs. And yeah. I think I think yeah. that it's something that, again, and it touches on something that we've spoken about through most of this episode, is that idea of keeping that open dialogue between yourself and the storyteller if you're a player, um, storyteller and players, and also players with other players, so that everybody at the table gets a bit of a chance to, to discuss this. And, I mean, I, I actively make sure that after each one of my games, we finish, and then we have at least half an hour to an hour after that where we actually physically leave the game room go out to the kitchen, have coffee, and just talk rubbish, and usually the rubbish includes what happened that night. And that sort of debrief session is really good for me to mine ideas as to where the Chronicle is going. But it's also the forum where players will say, well, hey, I'm having a bit of difficulty with this idea, or I'm thinking about taking my character in this direction. So I think that roads are a prime example of why those conversations need to occur. Definitely. Definitely. Now, another point that we've been raising about roads is quite often the moral dilemmas. Uh, Now, we were going to talk a little bit about this, but we've decided that there is uh, a reference that Adrian brought to my attention on the White Wolf forums. Uh, Do you want to discuss a little bit about that, Adrian? Yeah, um, when I was taking a look around just to see what other people had written about these, there's actually a series of posts over on the White Wolf Forum at the moment uh, which are headed Violate My Path, and then they've inserted one of the modern night paths after this. And what the challenge has been thrown down on these paths is to come up with uh, situations where you would receive contradictory uh, a contradictory situation where your choice is essentially to violate your path at one level or violate your path at another level and the example given there was with the with one of the paths uh, close to chivalry was the idea that if you are ordered by a superior to leave an ally in a dangerous situation where they're going to be killed So what you're doing there is you're failing to protect an ally or you're failing to take on the orders which have been given to you by a superior or someone that you believe is your superior. And those sorts of situations, I think, if we can use your spice analogy here, you you sprinkle very carefully over your campaign because it really does highlight then that there are some pretty difficult choices around your your paths and your roads. You don't want to be having these sorts of situations crop up every single game session, uh, because otherwise then uh, your players could, with with good reason, start to question whether or not the storyteller is just actively out to destroy their characters, rather than providing them with good role-playing opportunities. Uh, so I think that, that this is a good thread that if you want to go back and visit this, it can give you a lot of food for thought, whether you're playing a Dark Angels game or even if you're playing a Modern Knights Sabat Chronicle. Yep, yeah, it's a really interesting read. 
in terms of starting to wrap things up, because I realise that we've gone a little bit longer than episode two, do you have any final advice or final thoughts around paths that we can close with, Steve? I think that for GMs and players is look at them. See if you can pick up any other material about the, the roads and read around the subject. As I said, that I think in the Storyteller Companion for Dark Ages, there's a you know uh, an elaboration on some of the paths. Have a read of that. See if you can't get your head round the road before you start down it, if that makes any sense. Just don't jump two feet first and decide, oh, this is, this is the path for me. Because if you look at the, some of the paths are actually quite subtle and others are more brutal. But the subtle ones are sometimes a bit more rewarding to play than others. I mean, sure, playing somebody who wants to be uh, following the, the road of the devil going around burning churches, killing Christians and having a great time like that, it's going to end probably badly for himself. But somebody who wants to, say, play a Road of Heaven kind of character, that wants to actively seek out Golconda and become you know, something else apart from a vampire, again, but using the road to, to step along it towards this, this grand goal, is an interesting uh, technique that you can both explore as a player or a GM. No, I would completely agree, and I don't think that there's too much that I can add to that at all uh, beyond uh, my constant uh, plea of making sure that you know, groups talk to each other and that you you give this an awful lot of thought because to me the road is probably next to concept uh, should really be the thing that you think most about. Uh, I've got an invitation at the moment that there's a, a Dark Ages game starting that, that one of my players is going to be starting in the next couple of months. And he immediately said to me, well, do you want a seat at the table? And I came up with a concept. And then the first thing after that, that that came to mind was, well, what road would I play? What would be really um, the the cornerstone of exploration for this character? Uh, what would give him a reason for getting up every night? You lucky devil. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying for certain that I'm going to get the chance to actually attend the game. Um, I've got the invitation, and, and life willing, I might be able to get out and actually play. Uh, but we'll see how that turns out. Well, I hope it all turns out in the right way, mate. <laughs> thanks, thanks. Okay, so as we wrap up tonight, um, if you wanted to drop us a line about any of the episodes that we're producing or perhaps to give us some ideas for future episodes, uh, if you want to uh, email me, I'm available at miragearcana at gmail.com and I have decided to dip my toe into the pool that is Twitter uh, so you would be able to get me at at Boggan Knight, uh, all one word. What about yourself, Steve? How can people get a hold of you? Okay, people can get a hold of me at Vergast, which is V-E-R-G-H-A-S-T, at hotmail.com. I'm not on Twitter, but uh, I believe uh, if people are that desperate to get a hold of me, you can contact me through uh, perhaps the blog on the posture page that's hosted by the Dark Age main site. And I'm sure that Mike will add some uh, link to that in the show notes for this episode. Now, episode three, which we'll be recording in a few weeks' time, we're going to look at the role of elders and sects within the Dark Ages world. That would be then good night from me. And good night from me. Thanks for listening. All right, very good stuff. Now... 
some stuff I really liked about this was that they uh, point out that roads can be a conflict-inducing mechanic. And this is actually a, a topic I really want to cover in a future Darker Days episode, uh, where uh, you, the, the roads that different characters are on can, in fact, uh, cause conflict and then have storytelling events and scenes come out of it, which can kind of drive the story uh, and in some ways take it out of the hands of the storyteller and make it a bit easier for him, uh, making the overall game. So that's some really cool stuff and stuff I want to bring up. But uh, as you probably noticed listening to this episode, Adrian and Steve mainly focused on the roads which are found in the Vampire the Dark Ages core book back from 1996. Now, White Wolf put out a lot of stuff regarding roads in later supplements, and the uh, things kind of changed also with the Dark Ages Vampire core book, which came out in 2002. So I kind of want to cover that stuff right now. Just to start, one of the final books for Vampire of the Dark Ages was a, was actually the only other hardcover book for that line, which is called Veil of Night. And this covers what was happening with the vampires in the Middle East at that time, uh, during the Dark Ages. And it has a, a different take on each of the roads, um, and some of them are quite different than the Western counterparts. This book also had some really cool stuff in it, including in, in the last chapter is actually... Damascus by Night, so there's an extra by night book in there. Uh, it has information on the Bastet, the uh, werecats in the Dark Ages, and uh, Shemsuhero, which are the, the mummies prior to Mummy of the Resurrection. And it also has information and rules on Jin, which is pretty interesting. I think that's covered in some Mage the Ascension source books, but it's something that I totally did not expect to see in a vampire book. Now, to talk about the roads, um, some of them are the same as their Western counterparts, but others are kind of different. I'm going to mostly cover the different ones right here. For example, the book introduces the Road of the Nomad, which is kind of an alternative to the Road of the Beast. Uh, they call it the uh, Tariq el Bedouin. Uh, this road is characterized by its disdain of the trappings of civilization. And one of the interesting things that it actually kind of hopes to bring other people or vampires away from their soft lives of, of indolence and uh, bring them to follow this road itself. The, the hierarchy of sin is kind of interesting. I picked out a couple uh, for each of the roads, which I'm going to just bring up right here. Um, so for Road of the Nomad, a conviction roll must be made at level 8 or higher uh, for wearing fine clothes or jewels, which is pretty strange, uh, but it shows you how this is a, a very simplistic lifestyle. Settling down in a city is the uh, fourth level of sin. And then the second is refusing to accept a challenge. I kind of wonder how exactly, though, this is supposed to stave off the beast. It seems as though you're just kind of living a uh, very, very simple and pilgrim lifestyle. But I can't really tell how this, how this is supposed to interact with that, uh, that second psyche in the vampire and really suppress it. Still, it's kind of interesting and I think would provide some pretty interesting uh, role-playing opportunities. So it's, uh, it's a good thing to keep in mind. Another road in Vale of Night is the Road of War, the uh, Tariq el Harb, and this is kind of an alternative to the Road of Chivalry, but it's pretty different from the Road of Chivalry, actually. Um, it ties itself in a lot more closely with the, uh, the kind of warlike birth of Islam, and it's a lot more about like, like victory and pride than the idealized honor uh, and, and protecting the weak that you find in Chivalry. So, for example, with the Hierarchy of Sin, uh, level 8 is 
asking for quarter due to fatigue or injury. So you really just have to keep on fighting is what it says. Uh, number five is uh, failure to show proper ruthlessness in battle. A lot different than chivalry. And number three is failure to protect those under your charge, uh, which shows that there's this, uh, while you aren't protecting the weak, you do have this, this duty to those under you. I think this is kind of an interesting idea because it's really focused on kind of sating the beast uh, through like, like exhilaration and, and victory. The other one I want to bring up is the Road of Community, the Tariq El Uma. And this is kind of an alternative to humanity in the East. And it's actually pretty similar in the very, very basic elements, because really a good person in one society is usually pretty similar to a good person in another society. So uh, it preaches a lot about uh, moderation, humility, uh, respect, you know, compassion, all that kind of stuff. Actually, actually, one of the interesting things is that it says you need to be compassionate to your slaves, because it's a different culture and that's uh, slightly more accepted. Unlike the uh, the other Ashira roads that are, are brought up in A Veil of Night, this one calls a lot more for strict denial of the beast, whereas the other ones are trying to sate it or kind of ride the beast in some ways. And this has also got some different conviction rules. So, so level 10, actually, level 10 is at the highest, is drinking blood from a mortal. Uh, because, quote, civilized people do not prey upon their fellows. Uh, definitely a lot different than than what we find in the uh, Road of Humanity. But then that's always one of the big debates, is like, uh, what actually constitutes like harming an individual, because that is uh, that is level eight on humanity. But going back to the uh, the road at hand, level seven is pretty, pretty hysterical. Uh, failure to pay the yearly tax. So of course, because this is so focused on the community, you have to make sure you pay your taxes and provide for the community itself. And level three is abusing one's authority in the community. Uh, this, is, this is an interesting road. And I think what it's trying to tell you is that you can quell the beast by being almost an upstanding citizen. I mean, I guess it could work. It's, it's a little odd, and you kind of have to question how this would fit into a vampire game sometimes. But uh, it's interesting nonetheless, and I'd like to see what people have to say about it. Beyond Veil vale of Night, uh, there's a couple other roads that are important to mention in Vampire the Dark Ages. The clan book Cappadocian introduced the Road of Bones, and this is followed by some Cappadocians and also a few morbid Zimitsi. Uh It's mostly about studying death by using like sacrifices and experiments. It's, it's a very strange path, and what it tries to say in the description, which is very brief in the clan book, it's only about two paragraphs introducing this thing, is that the Road of Bone teaches you to uh, almost disregard an individual life in the uh, pursuit of understanding death, but you need to revere collective life. So I guess a uh, uh, good of the many versus the uh, good of the few in some ways. Now, looking at the uh, different conviction rules, the level 8 is refusing to kill when the opportunity presents itself. Uh, this is not a very good statement, I don't think, because the opportunity to kill can present itself at every single moment when you're around another person. One change you can make would be refusing to euthanize when the opportunity presents itself. So in this case, a, a, a mortal or maybe another vampire is giving you permission to kill them. 
which in that case you have it's fair game for you to to go through with it and then study exactly what occurs i think that makes a lot more sense than this 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 vague killing level four is uh letting compassion sway a decision so uh, as you can tell this sort of road requires a lot of uh, self-control and really a lack of compassion because you're studying death that one makes perfect sense in my opinion and uh, actually going back up to level five is uh, refusing to share insight with another follower of the road. Uh, I think that's a really good one because it, 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 there's so few people on the road of bones, um, despite it being kind of the uh, the go-to road for, for Cappadocians in some ways. Uh, there aren't that many people on it, and it's really important for them to kind of share information and uh, forward their understanding. And again, I'm not really sure how the road of bone can really quell the beast. It's it's sort of this like weird scientific method that they're introducing here and it doesn't really seem like it would in any way affect that that portion of the vampire psyche there's another road which is introduced in clan book bali the clan book says that most bali are either on the uh, via diabolus which is the uh the road of the devil which was mentioned by adrian and steve but it also introduces the via hyron which is the road of the hive i'm not going to go into too much detail on this but what it mostly has to do with is uh, is actually prevents you from betraying. You have a, a uh, you have to make conviction rolls when you betray someone, so it produces a lot of loyalty for a Bali towards uh, other members of the clan, other members of their nest, and it really just seems like this this manipulation tool in a lot of ways, which is quite fitting for the clan. And I think it's a really interesting thing. Uh, especially because you're not going to have players using this. It's really just there for uh, a guidance for the storyteller as they use the Bali as NPCs. The one final road I found as I was searching around is the uh, Road of the Yasa. And this comes from Winds of the East, which is the kind of Mongol source book. And it's really just a hybrid of Road of the Beast and Road of Chivalry. Not too much to say on that one. If you're kind of interested in that, you can check it out. It said it was mostly used by the Anda, which are a uh, bloodline of the Gangrel, which rode with the the Mongol hordes and are actually uh, no longer in existence by the modern knights. So finally, let's get on to Dark Ages Vampire, which kind of had a, a cleanup and reimagining of the roads. And it really did streamline them, in my opinion. Uh, one of the major changes, actually, was that roads are more than just a philosophy, they almost become like this religion among the undead, which is in, in keeping with uh, the direction they were going with the Dark Ages line as a whole. You see that uh, very strongly in, in Dark Ages Mage and, of course, Dark Ages Inquisitor. So there's now just five main roads, and this covers probably 90% of the vampires in the game, and there's other minor roads which we'll go into. So the five main roads are uh, Road of the Beast, Road of Heaven, Road of Humanity, Road of Kings, and Road of Sin. So three of those are going to be familiar to you from what uh, Adrian and Steve mentioned. Uh, the Road of Kings and Road of Sin are a little bit different, but you can definitely figure out where they came from. So the Road of Kings is kind of an extension on the uh, Path of Chivalry. Um, well, well, the Road of Chivalry, and Path of Chivalry is actually a subset of it. But the Road of Kings is actually primarily about dominance. That's how you control the beast, by dominating it and dominating those around you with this uh, almost superiority. So uh, looking at the hierarchy of sin, uh, level 8 is treating an inferior as an equal. Um, so basically you never, ever 
really show compassion to uh, someone that you know is your lesser. Level four is failing to answer a, a challenge to your honor. So, of course, when someone challenges you, you have to attempt to uh, beat them or, or dominate. And two is uh, breaking your word to superiors. So, you all, while you also oppose those that are weaker to you, you do have to defer to your superiors. Now, the road of sin is actually... It definitely comes from the uh, the road of the devil that was in Vampire of the Dark Ages, but it is slightly different. It's more about uh, seeking experience and saving the beast uh, without going too overboard, where the road of the devil that you find in Vampire of the Dark Ages is very much, I'm evil and I'm going to do evil stuff. That said, I actually noticed a lot of similarities between the hierarchy of sins between the two. Um, for example... Uh, level 9 is failing to indulge a new desire, so that goes with the uh, stating your desires approach and theme to the to the road. Uh, level 9 is refusing to tempt the virtuous, which definitely comes from the devil. I think the interesting thing about that is refusing to tempt the virtuous is a, it's a pretty open-ended statement. You don't have to put a lot of effort into it, and it really just says you have to try. So I don't think it would really derail a game uh, if someone was on the road to sin and had that exact thing come up. And finally, level three is refusing to kill when it is in your best interest, which is an interesting one, because what it's really saying is you shouldn't hold back if you know this person is going to be a uh, like a political adversary and you've got them right in front of you and can just off them, you might as well go for it, which I think is in keeping with Vampire. It may derail a game, but... I'd really, I'd really have to see how this works in a chronicle before I make a judgment on it. The other roads, uh, there's, there's a couple minor roads, which are not really in the core book. It gives you a paragraph on each, but the actual hierarchy of sins is covered in the Dark Ages Companion. Uh, this includes uh, Path of, or Road of Blood, Road of Bones, Night, Paradox, and Serpent. Some of these come from uh, Vampire of the Dark Ages itself, and those are covered in that supplement instead of in the core book. Because it really wants to focus on those couple of main uh, roads, which most of the vampires follow. Finally, one thing that Dark Age of Vampire does is it introduces a new mechanic, which is linked into your road or your morality scale, which is the aura. And the aura is this kind of feeling, impression, or attitude, which comes from the canine, kind of this unconscious projection, basically. And I, I want to say it's somewhat mystical in how it's presented. So, for example, a knight with ten dots on Road of the Beast has very menacing aura and gets minus two difficulty to any role involving, like, terror or intimidation. This also means that uh, followers on the Road to Heaven can seem very serene, kind of like Cappadocius... In the Last Supper, I think uh, actually Beckett on the old WGPRN forums mentioned that Cappadocius might have been ten dots in the Road of Heaven, which is a very interesting idea. So, there we go. That's some more information on roads and, and paths and all that in the Dark Ages. Uh, very good stuff. Uh, I know that uh, Adrian and Steve are looking for uh, a lot of like really good questions regarding the Dark Ages for their fourth episode in this series, which is going to be like their storytelling advice and all of that. So if you have any any questions or anything like that, uh, comments, they really want to hear from you, definitely drop them a line at miragearcana at gmail.com. That's probably the best place to get their attention. And of course, if you want to uh, send your own Darkling in or any questions or comments for Darker Days Radio, our email address is darkerdaysradio at gmail.com. 
Our Twitter account is Darker Days Radio on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Darker Days Radio, and of course visit our website at darker-days.org. So, that's all I've got to say tonight. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the episode, and we'll be having another Darkling coming out real soon. Thank you, and good night.